Good morning, everyone, and welcome to week six, the last week of our current teaching series called Emojis. It's been a good run. I appreciate your patience here. We are in the process of transitioning from meeting here to soon to be meeting at our new building, so we've had to remove the lights and put them in over there. So uh, unfortunately, even though I'm over 50, you're not going to get to see, you know, you're being deprived of seeing uh, a tremendous specimen of a male who's over 50. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So listen, in this series for our guests, we're studying, you know, we're looking into the Bible, God's Word, and we're, we're trying to see how to successfully navigate our emotions, which God's given us, you know, to enhance our lives, to make our lives better, deeper, richer, more meaningful. But if we don't manage them right, man, you know, there could be some damage, some destruction, pain going on. Now, last week, we taught you how to successfully navigate the emotion of gratitude, good time on Mother's Day. Next week, we're kicking off a new teaching series called Swimming Upstream, where we're going to go into the book of Daniel. We're going to look, look into Daniel's life. It's a book in the Old Testament, a time before Jesus was born. I really, really hope you join us. It's going to be a great series. Remember, Daniel lived in a time for over, eight, over 80 years. He lived in a society where people did not believe in God, something that many of us can relate to, right? Okay, now, today, though, we're going to wrap up this teaching series by helping you successfully navigate the emotion of envy. Huh? Yeah. Now, when it comes to envy, I think we all can relate. Some of you might not realize it by the time the sermon's over. I think you'll get it. Huh? Men are envious of other men's tools and toys. Women are envious of other women's lives as a whole sometimes. When you catch somebody's life on Instagram, it's kind of like a highlight reel, by the way. It's not their actual life, right? You know, maybe kind of like an embellished highlight reel, right? Huh? And, you know, if you're a teen, you know, somebody's more athletic than you are, more popular than you are. Somebody's got more gaming skills than you got, right? Somebody's got the guy, the girl. But you're envy, man. You're filled with envy. I mean, all if, you, if you're up in age and you're retired or you're not retired, somebody is retired, you still have to work, or somebody's retired and they got more going on, they're able to go on vacations, and you can't, and there's envy that sets in. All you have to do is look around, drop your guard, and it seems as though you're going to find someone to be envious of. Now, there's this term called keeping up with the Joneses. Now, it, I, I don't know if it's still kicking around, but what it talks about, it refers to uh, when we compare ourselves to our neighbors and all the material possessions they've collected, and, and that is our kind of standard for success. That's how we know we're achieving success when we're keeping up with our neighbors and doing as good as they are. Now, things have changed a bit, and we're living in a really interesting culture, right? That we're no longer intent to keep up with the Joneses. We want to outdo the Joneses, right? You know? We, we want to be in a place where people are envying us at times. Now... Envy, for me, can be a bad habit. Meaning, envy for me, it's negative for all of us, but I notice it creeps up in my life. There are times when Christy and I, the kids, uh, will go out to Cape Ann. It's the northeastern part of the state near the beaches, Gloucester, Rockport. And, you know, we'll be, I'll be sitting there. Now, I don't like to go in the water. You know that, right? But I, I don't mind sitting on the beach now. I put an umbrella over my head, I put sun, uh, the block stuff on, and I even have long, you know, I just, I keep myself out of the sun and out of the water, and I'm good. And, but I'll sit there, and you know, the breeze, and just the, the ocean is, it's beautiful to just take it all in all of God's creation, you know, just calming to me. And then as I'm looking out, and having that kind of, just a, 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 good, a good calming moment, uh, good time of maybe reflection, 
I'll notice in the left of my corner of my eye some houses, you know, in, in the distance that are right on the beach. And I'm like, man, it must be awesome, you know, to, to, to have that house, you know. I see people out on the deck going to the beach and coming back in, and I start thinking how great it is. If me and Chrissy are kind of, and I, be, I begin to now indulge in that thought, you know. If Chrissy and I are walking through the streets, like our anniversary, we always go up there for the night, you know, and uh, we're walking around, and, and there'll be a home for sale, and they have the box with the kind of the promo, the advertisement. I'll always go and take it out and read all the info on it, you know, and I, I get into it, man, you know. And, and, and what's happening there, you know, or of course, you know, if I'm sitting there on the, on the beach and a sailboat comes into my view, I'm like, come on, how cool is that? How good is that, man, to have a sailboat to, to come off? I picture myself sailing out, going to a restaurant, pulling up in the dock, getting out. This is great, man, you know? And I mean, I'm there. I'm there, man. I, and, you know, what's happening is that envy is kind of creeping in. It's leaking in, huh? And it might seem innocent, though, you know, what I've come to realize over time, and especially it's kind of been enhanced as I went through this sermon, is that I'm, I'm, there's a, I'm envying what they have. Because it's not like a subtle thought, or that's, that's a nice, I'm, I'm there, man, you know, I mean, I'm, pick, I'm, I'm, I'm waking up in the morning, making the pancakes, listening to Ooh Child, as I look out over the ocean, I'm there, you know? You know some of you don't know Ooh Child, it's a great song. Okay, it's my favorite song. All right, so, uh, you know, and that's where it kind of becomes now envy, and it's unhealthy. So where does envy come from? Now, as a child of God, we, we're made up of two parts, call it two sides, the spirit is a part of us that wants to please God. It loves God. And then there's this thing called the flesh. And that's the part of us that wants to just please ourselves, satisfy ourselves, at times often immediate gratification of ourselves, right? And we do this to indulge in what we call sin. Now, the Bible teaches us that the sin of envy, because it is a sin, resides in our flesh. And, that, and it's, this is the kind of a corrupt part of who we are, right? And that part of us in Scripture, in the Bible, is referred to as our sinful nature. It's, and that's where envy lives. That's where envy thrives. In the book of Galatians, part of the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see here that envy lives within us, meaning in our sinful nature, in that nature that wants to kind of rebel against God, to disobey God. It's a part of us that simply wants to please ourselves in lieu of obeying and loving and trusting God. But now the thing about envy is, it kind of lies dormant, you know? It's kind of like some of you, you know, have mercy, you have this kind of a chronic pain or something that it's not always prominent in your lives, it's, but it's there, you know, and it just flares up from time to time. That's kind of how envy is, huh? It's dormant until something triggers it. And you're saying, okay, well, what triggers it? Well, the writer of, of Psalm 73 tells us in Psalm 73, verse 3, and it says, he, uh, he says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In short, the Bible's telling us that envy is triggered when we see someone that has something or a way of life that we don't have, right? They're prospering, they're doing better, 
according to our perspective, I mean, I don't really know the people in the house. I don't know the gal or guy on the boat, but it looks pretty good to me, man, right? Let's, let's look through the Bible quick to see some examples of this. Genesis chapter 4. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God, but Cain's was not. Cain is envious of Abel, right? Cain wanted his sacrifice to be accepted, but his wasn't and Abel was, so he became envious of Abel. In Genesis chapter 30, a woman named Leah is popping out kids left and right, and her sister Rachel cannot conceive a child. Rachel becomes envious of Leah. In Genesis chapter 37, right out of the gate in the Bible we see this. Jacob's son Joseph gets a shiny new coat, a coat of many colors, and his brothers didn't get one, and they become envious of Joseph. So, next week, we're going to kick off a series on Daniel, so let's bring Daniel into the mix, right? In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is going to get a promotion, and his co-workers become envious, filled with envy of him. So, we see that envy comes from our sinful nature, right? It's, it's part of us that's just bent on evil, but it, it lies dormant, and then it's triggered. For some of us, it's triggered more than others. huh? So the next question is, why is envy bad? Okay, for starters, envy is a spiritual sickness. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Okay, so here the Bible is telling us that envy is like a spiritual Spiritual sickness. It's portrayed as a sickness. Now, it, like leprosy, it's eating away at you. Now, it's not actually eating away at you physically, but it's eating away at you spiritually. It's eating away at your happiness. In some cases, it could be destroying your very happiness. I'm going to pause here. Hear this out. I am telling you, I see this in people's lives, that they are immersed. It's a, they are conditioned to govern themselves this way, that they are often triggered. They are governed by this envy, comparing themselves to others. And just as it, as it has been in these last several sermons, we've been kind of bringing up how people are kind of, you know, so into the social media with the Facebook and the Instagram, and now they're so provoked, uh, you know, to, to go towards this envy, huh? So listen up to what I'm sharing with you today. Envy can be dangerous, huh? Another reason why envy is bad is it diverts our attention from God's plan in our lives. You know, Solomon, one of the wisest, wealthiest men that walked the face of the earth, he says in Ecclesiastic chapter 4, verse 4, And I saw that all labor and achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. Solomon's saying that, listen, man, I see people running around to and fro all over the place, striving just to be like their neighbors, to make it happen, to be as good as their neighbor, their co-worker, to be as good as their siblings. And it's envy. They're just doing this to get what they don't have. They're looking at other people's lives. I don't know, a few sermons ago, I talked about Chris and I going on a cruise of a muter, right? And uh, so, same vacation, same cruise. Uh, actually, this was the very beginning of it. We get on there the first day. Uh, it took us three years to save up our change to get on this cruise. Um, I think we had like 50 or 60 bucks, bucks in our pocket for the week. You know, we're on a cruise and everything's paid for, so we're just gonna, we're gonna be careful. And uh, we had gotten a gift certificate from our travel agent. I don't know if they're still around, but they were then. And, uh, and it was like, whatever it was, 50, 60 bucks. You had a special, if you cut your hair, you did a really different style. It was another discount. So Christy went and got, said, hey, go for it. Go get a haircut, you know? And then I got to wander, which I love to wander, right? 
And so I'm wandering around the, the, the ship. And you understand, the whole thing is pretty cool for me, because I'm a kid from Brooklyn, you know, grew up in, in, in low-income areas. Uh, even though you, know, my, you might think of the city, when people say the city, it's kind of expansive. And it, it's, in some ways, it's not. Brooklyn, the Bronx, these are kind of like boroughs that are really kind of immersed in ethnic populations where you know, the cultures and the traditions really you know, govern. They have these confines. And then kind of in Manhattan is where you have like these broadened horizon, you know? Uh, where you know, there's a lot going on from all over the world and people are participating in it, like fashion shows and art auctions and the such. But you don't really see that in Brooklyn or the Bronx, right? So meaning in a sense, maybe our, our, our horizons are a little bit kind of cropped, right? So here I am now on this ship, which in itself is super cool. Matter of fact, we sailed out of New York City on that one, right? And we were sailing past Coney Island. I'm like, man, who is better than me? You know, because I was born in Coney Island in a low-income place, and here I am now cruising on a ship past Coney Island. This is good. Right? Obviously not good enough, we'll get to the point. So uh, in my wandering around, I come across an art auction. Wow! And I got the paintings on display on the easels that they're gonna auction off, and I'm walking around and like, wow, you know, because you know, growing up in Brooklyn, you know, people who go to the fashion shows and the art auctions, those are wealthy people or educated people, well-to-do people, uh, aristocrats, so on and so forth, not just, you know, not us guys and gals from Brooklyn, right? So I'm looking and I'm like, man, you know, Maybe this is the time to expand my horizons, you know? You know? And uh, I asked a question, I'm like, yeah, sure, everyone's welcome to join the auction. You just gotta give your credit card or your name and, and you know, and, uh, and you're in. So I'm like, you know, I, I wanna go in an art auction. I wanna do this. So uh, I give them my credit card, I give them my name, and they give me a paddle. I've got a paddle, I'm somebody now, right? <laughs> I've got a paddle, man. So now I sit there at the table, you know, they bring you over drinks if you want, or uh, you know, hors d'oeuvres. I mean, I, psh, look at me, who? I'm all that in a bag of chips, right? And, uh, and now they bring out the paintings and they tell, tell you about the artist and the history of the painting and, and here's what happens. They start bidding and the guy, the auctioneer starts off high and then, you know, can I, you know, five, and then he comes down low, someone bids and it comes back high. So we go to about six or seven paintings and it's, I'm finding this fascinating and I'm, I'm sitting there and, and, and every time somebody bids the right bidder, everybody claps and it's, you know, and I, I mean, I'm, like, I'm, one of the, I'm, I'm one of them now, right? And, uh, and I, I've always been kind of, you know, I, I'm just kind of just envious of all what's going on around me, right? Uh, and then they bring out a painting. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm itching. I'm like, you know, what good is a paddle if you can't raise it, you know? What, I mean, and I'm like, just, just one time. I want to be, I mean, you know, I see them sitting there, you know, either with a cigar or, you know, drink, flip, 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 you know? And I'm not flipping, man. I just got my paddle here. And so I just want to do it once, you know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they bring out this painting. I had seen it. It was called David's Tower. It was kind of like an abstract landscape of Jerusalem. It's biblical, right? It's got to be of God, okay? It's, yeah. it's amazing how we take these things and we, we, what we call subjectiveness, where we, we take circumstances where we're trying to indulge ourselves and, and fool ourselves into doing something that's not of God, and we, we make the circumstances subject us to us. We, so we take you know, God's word, or we take the things and we make it subjective to our feelings and our experiences and our wants. Be careful, people, huh? Another sermon, another time. All right, so I flipped the stinking paddle, right? Because, you know, he said he starts out at 500, can I hear 500, 500, 500? And I'm like, okay, this is it right now. I flipped the paddle. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He calls out 500, comes all the way down. I don't want to confuse you. He comes down like 250 bucks. And I'm like, okay, this is my shot to flip my paddle. I'm going to flip the paddle. Then somebody, then everybody else will jump in and bring it up, okay? I mean, I'm out. 
I flipped a paddle at 250. He's like, 250, 250, 250, the man over here, okay. And I'm like, okay, good. I, I, it felt awesome. I mean, I actually like hung it out there for a few seconds, you know? So I owned a flip of the wrist, uh, and I'm sitting there. Do I hear, do I hear, do I hear, do I hear 300, do I hear 300, do I hear 300, do I hear, do I hear 350, and you go on and on, and nobody's jumping in. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, somebody's going, he's like, he goes, you know, and he's going on, and I'm starting to sweat, man. I mean, I'm like, oh, come on, no way, this isn't good. Somebody jump in, please, God, God, somebody. And you know what? He turns around and says, you know what, this is way too little of an amount to sell this painting for. I'm like, Shh. He goes, but since it's the first day of the cruise, I'm like, oh, don't do this, please. He goes, sold. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, no, no. Don't do it. Sold to the man. I'm like, and I'm sitting there with this stupid look on my face and my paddle, right? So, um, you know, I come out. Christy comes over. You know, I walk over to where the paintings are. We get together, and I look at her. I'm like, hey, you know, how, how do you like that painting? She goes, it's, it's ugly. I don't like it at all. <laughs> it's never been on my wall, man, in like 17 years. So... I said, well, uh, I just bought it, and I paid $250 for it. <laughs> nice haircut. <laughs> so what happened there, you know? I was, here I am, life is good. I mean, I'm on a cruise, man, to Bermuda with a wonderful and a beautiful woman, okay? I, I've got all the, all the illustrations of to be thankful and grateful in front of me. Leave, you know, I've got where I grew up in my sights and what God has done in my life, but somehow I miss all that, and I become envious of a group of people tossing paddles, smoking cigars, you know, drinking down some, eating up some good food, and bidding on paintings, right? So the envy distracted me from what God was doing in my life, huh? So thank God for my wife. We took us about a half a day, but uh, she got over it. But, but that's a good place for your wife to get over when she's on a cruise <laughs> heading to Bermuda, okay? I wouldn't try that at home, folks, all right? So, listen, your neighbor upgrades the car, you know, you upgrade the car. Your neighbor gets a new lawnmower, you want a new, new lawnmower, right? Your sibling goes on a fancy vacation, you want to go on a, on a family vacation, huh? This is the keeping up with the Joneses, except it's worse. What's happening now is you're, you're trying to emulate someone else's life, huh? You're trying to be, in some way, someone else, which is what I was doing. And that means now your attention is not fixed on God, what he's done in your life, and what he's doing in your life, and his will for your life. Instead, it's fixed on something apart from God, which very well could be evil, meaning it's not of God. And it's going to be damaging and hurtful to you. So, envy diverts us from God's plan in our life. Another reason envy is bad is it, resu it results in all forms of wickedness. James chapter 3, verse 16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. For example, envy, result, envy resulted in Cain killing Abel. Envy resulted in a rivalry between Rachel, who could not have children, and her sister Leah, who could. Envy resulted in Daniel, the guy who got the promotion, being thrown into the lion's den by his co-workers so he wouldn't get the promotion. Envy results in all forms of wickedness. Envy itself is a sin that leads to other sins. So they say that marijuana is a gateway drug. You might not believe that. You might believe it, whatever. But it's a drug that people who do prescribe to that theory that leads to other drugs. Well, envy, envy is like a gateway sin. It's a sin that leads to all other sorts of sins, you know? So when you're envious, you're now vulnerable and perhaps more likely to lie, to covet, to steal, to cheat, to be dishonest even maybe to murder, to get what you're craving, what you envy. 
So envy results in all forms of wickedness. Be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be a person of courage. Be brave. Do everything in love and watch out for envy. Huh? So now the question is, how can, how can we overcome envy? How can we triumph over envy? In other words, how do I get envy out of my life? How do I empty myself of envy? How do I evict envy? How do I just be aware of it? To answer this question, we're going to turn to a story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says, God's kingdom is like an estate manager who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on a wage of a dollar a day and went to work. Later, about 9 o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around town, hanging around a town square, unemployed. He told them to go to work in his vineyard, and he would pay them a fair wage. They went. He did the same thing at noon and again at 3 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, he went back and found still others standing around. He said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? They said, because no one has hired us. He told them to go to his work in his vineyard. When a day's work was over and the owner of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. Those hired at 5 o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that, they assumed they would get far more. But they got the same, each one of them a dollar. Taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us, who slaved all day under a scorching sun. He replied, the foreman, to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I have been unfair. Friend, I have not been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, did we not? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? Some versions even say envious. So the first thing we want to do to triumph over envy is we want to stop comparing ourselves to others. So we want to say to ourselves, I will, I'm going to stop comparing myself to other people. So you see here, those hired at 5 o'clock came and were given a dollar. When those who were hired first at the beginning of the day saw that, they thought they'd get more. They got the same as the other, the same pay. Now, taking that dollar, which they were originally very happy and content with, they were glad to be employed, they were glad to get the dollar. Now they were irritated, they were angry, they were bothered. Right? So, when I, uh, in my early 20s, uh, I can relate to this story, personally, because I I look back now, I couldn't relate to it then, I didn't know God, and I was in my own world. But looking back, I'm in my early 20s, and I'm in, uh, working in New York City for a company called Merrill Lynch. And Merrill Lynch was a, was a good company. It was a, a good-standing kind of stock bond financial company. Uh, and I had gotten a, a friend of mine who my father uh, you know, kind of was in the Army with. He gets me this job, and the guy had a really good position. Now, I was, I was part of a group that's, that was in direct contact with the traders who worked on the traders' floor. We supported them. And I was on the floor. I was on Merrill Lynch's trading floor, which was one of the largest trading floors in the world, uh, on Black Monday, that, that day in 1987 when the market crashed. Crazy day, man. I'll never forget it. Well, what, you know, what happens here is I'm working with this group of people, and uh, some people are better at their job than others. Some people are more experienced than others. And one day I'm, I'm talking with a particular person, and this is a person who I, you know, help a lot, meaning I'm better at the job than they are. I'm more experienced than they are at this job. 
and in talking, you know, we're hanging out having, you know, you know, dinner afterwards, and they blurt out how much they make, and it's more than me. And suddenly this job, which I skipped over, which I like. I mean, we'd get there in the morning, they'd have breakfast for us, we would order lunch, they'd bring us lunch. It had a really promising uh, financial future type of job that it was. Just to say you worked for Merrill Lynch and you were originally working in One Liberty Plaza, which was a known building, and then they moved their headquarters over to North Financial Center, right off the water, the only palm trees in the, in the atrium in the entire Northeast. I mean, it was just, a, a, just kind of a good atmosphere for someone who was living in that culture in that city. And I really liked the job a lot until I found out that this person made more than I did, right? Then my job stunk. I didn't like my job at all. I didn't like my manager. I became totally sour on my job, right? Okay. You know, there's a uh, pastor and a communicator, a Christian pastor and communicator called Andy Stanley. And he was right when he said, there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison, my friends. Look, we do it all the time. It's like our favorite indoor sport, right? We compare, we compare looks, we compare skills, we compare jobs, vehicles, health, we compare everything to others, huh? But God warns us of this foolishness of comparing yourself to anybody else. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. That phrase, not wise, in the original language in the Greek, you know, it actually means you're acting stupid. You're acting foolishly. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying what it's saying here is when we do this, when we compare ourselves to others, we're acting stupid and foolishly, huh? You're always going to find somebody who's doing a better job than you are at something. You're always going to find somebody wealthier, taller. It's just, it's just if you keep looking... Like, like, I got on this cruise with all that I had, and I kept looking, and I found somebody who I perceived had, better, had it better than I did, right? Who had something that I didn't have that I wanted. Listen, listen, either way, when you compare, you lose. There is no win in comparison. God doesn't want you to be like anybody else. God's made you unique, distinctive. He wants you to just be the best you can be. Excellent is doing the best with what you have and what you've been given. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Let everyone be sure that he is doing his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with someone else. When you get to heaven, God isn't going to hold you accountable for how good you did at being somebody else, right? He's going to hold you accountable for how good you did at being you and the plan he's given for you. God hasn't, look, look, God, I'm not the best pastor in the world. I am by far, right? And he's not called me to be the best pastor in the universe. He's not, he's, there's a lot of things I see in pastors and leaders out there that I'm not, and I just know God's not called me to do that. The way I started a church was very different. I abandoned a lot of models and went for a unique model because I, I just came to them. That's not me. I admire that, but I'm not going to be envious of that. I don't go to anybody's websites. I don't. I don't check anybody. When I say anybody, meaning Anybody in any way that I think is in a circle of mine, because I'm always guarding against being envy, right? Against unhealthy feelings, so that I can be yielded and surrender to God to cultivate good, healthy relationships and truly believe what I say, that when the tide comes in, all boats rise. I wish the best for every and every church, because I believe that there are good people and godly people in any and every church, and that that church belongs to God, right? And he'll glorify himself in that church. So, so I'm, I'm guarding. I'm not, we're, we're the same, man. We, ble- we breathe, we bleed. 
but I'm not going to compare myself to others. I'm on guard about doing that as a pastor. Huh? I'm not the most articulate. I'm not the most educated. But I know who God, what he's done in my life. I know what God has called me to do. And I'm going to do my very, very best to do that, right? Just do your best with who you believe God has called you to be. Know your, know your identities in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Recognize what he's doing in your life. Be courageous and bold now to embrace that, to trust in him, to, to obey him versus rebelling and turning and sitting of him, to go out and indulge yourself and make your own way to satisfy yourself. It doesn't go well. Trust in God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the next, another way to triumph over, uh, and we're going to move towards the end here, another way to triumph over envy and this is, I like this one, is to celebrate God's goodness to others. Meaning, you know, we talked about what you shouldn't do. Here's a good thing to do. You know, when the workers came and complained to the boss in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, they said, don't, you know, the, the boss says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? It says, are you envious, going to this version now, are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? So, God doesn't want us to be envious when, we, when he blesses someone else. you got to guard yourself on this one, right? Romans 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So now we're, a lot of us, we're cool with mourning with people when they're mourning. Something bad happens to somebody, we're good with coming alongside them, feeling sympathetic, maybe empathetic, you know, being there. Well, we might not be as good when God pours out his blessings in somebody's life, so good fortune comes to somebody. We might not be so happy about that, right? We might, we might not want to come alongside them and celebrate. I do. You sh we should do that. Let's celebrate with people, mourn with them, grieve with them, but celebrate when good things happen in their lives, right? I mean, early on in, a, you know, in our lives, Christy and I received this special recognition. It was really unique special recognition as ministers. A first time in the history of that denomination had ever happened, and it was a long-standing large denomination, to, to work with teenagers and children in the inner city, and this would enable us now to go to churches around New England, around the country for that matter, and share our hearts and what we were doing, and they would support us financially. It's an incredible time in our lives, right? And so now we go to, we're going to meet this couple and to get together with them, and we can't wait to tell them what's happened, that we are now nationally appointed home missionaries. It's a big deal, man. And you know, they didn't show any, like, happiness. It was like, it, it was like I told them, you know, I stubbed my toe, right? And it, and it was so out of place, you know? Like, they, they, were, they were, like, first shocked, and then it was kind of like when you and I were uh, doing the ultrasound with the twins, and we were really nervous about having two girls at once. And when the doctor said, baby A is a girl, it was just like silence. Not, nothing came out of me, right? And he said, oh, well, I didn't, that didn't go over too well, right? It was that, that, that was their reaction. Baby B was a boy. <laughs> so, and, and, it was, and it was uncomfortable. But they were so steep, I mean, you, it was obvious that they were not happy for what had happened to us. And I look back now, and it is that they were filled with envy, which in the coming weeks and months and years, it, it showed. We still maintained a friendship with them, but it was never the same, you know? Basically, what we're saying is, you know, I, I, we, we, we can't even really be around you. We, we just, the envy is there. And, this ha and we do this. We do this in our lives. We, we allow this envy to affect us in how we choose and how we respond, but 
Listen, celebrate the good things that happen in people's lives. And don't do it in a false way or in a platitude, a cliche way. I mean, really feel it. Have joy. And when they have joy, share in their joys. Rejoice with them. All right, so let's kick through. All right, last one. Let's just go to the last one. Is another way we can triumph over envy is to focus on what you have. Matthew chapter 20, verse 9 says, Those hired at 5 o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. At this point in the story, there's no envy. At this point, everyone's happy because their focus is on what they've received. Envy only enters a scene when they shift their focus on what they've had to what others had, right? Listen, the key to triumphing, gaining triumph over envy is by focus on what you have. Huh? Listen, the danger is when we start asking the question, why them? Why is good thing happening to them? Why, when I scroll down Facebook, do they seem so happy? Why are they going on that vacation? Why uh, did they just buy that new house? Why them? Why, why them? Huh? That's what envy always says. Envy always asks, why them? On the other hand, gratitude always asks, why me? Last week we talked about gratitude. Why me? Why do I get to come into church on a Sunday morning and hear a special, meaningful message from a fairly attractive man, right? Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm still simmering over the whole 50-plus thing. You know, I did notice it, when I, but I've kind of just emotionally shifted it to the side, but thank you for, for highlighting that. Uh, you know, wh- why, why me says, why do I get to wake up this morning and just talk to God? Why me says, why am I aware and I have this view and this perspective on life that is whole and is healthy and is unselfish and is emotionally strong? Why me? Why me that I get to have the hope of a future of redemption and a life filled with God? Why me that I get to have forgiveness and be right and reconciled and in good position with God? Why me that I get to value eternity and put my value and my priorities in the right place? Why me? And that's just the, that's just the foundation. That's just the beginning. huh? I'm sure as you walk around, why me? Why do I look, just begin now to examine your life, to consider your life? Why me? Why has God blessed me and given me this? Why me? Yes, it's a powerful question. Gratitude says, why me? Huh? Envy says, why them? Stay with gratitude. Focus on what God has given you. And I, in a way, when I pray, I told you, there are times when I rip, take that word, take one verse, take a paragraph, go into the word, and I, you open it up and say, you know, God, as I read this scripture, what, what do I see in this that I can ask your forgiveness? Lord, what, when I see in this scripture, can I ask, Lord, how I can be thankful to you? Even those two things right there, when you enter your time of prayer, when you open up that word, you read, read, you read any line in the Bible, and you sit there and say, how can I ask God what in this kind of stirs something in me that caused me to be asking God to forgive me, or what is it when I read this causes and stirs in me something to be grateful to God, it will change your life, okay? All right, we're pushing through here. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? You're going to stand for a couple of minutes. So listen, and, all right, we're just going to keep going to the end here. All right, listen, the fourth way, I guess I'll toss one more in is, <laughs> Well, you know, it's just applicable, so I don't want to let it go. The fourth way we can triumph over envy is to trust God when life seems unfair. Life does seem unfair at times. Now, it's often our perspective, and it, and, and it just might be a season, huh? Who knows what God is doing? Look at the history of this church. One of the signs that you have an envious heart is that 
You're constantly using this phrase, it's not fair. It's not fair that he gets to do that or she gets to do that. It's not fair that it's easier for them and it's harder for me. It's not fair that they can afford to do this and, and, and we can't. It's just not fair, you know. I get that from people. Matthew chapter 20, verse 12. That's what was happening with the workers in this story. They were saying, these last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us who slaved all day under a scorching sun. In other words, it's not fair. Listen, when you think life is unfair, just pause and trust God. Huh? Trust his wisdom. Trust his divine plan. Tr- just be, lean into God and trust in God. He could have chosen you to be all these different things, but he's chosen you to be you. And he's got his divine, glorious plan laid out for you. I believe it's there. I believe it's not like we, we talk to God and ask him things, and he's like, oh, let me just put this together now. I think he, he's a sovereign God. I think it's mapped out. I think when we trust in him, the provisions are there. So right now, his provisions on how I'm going to pastor and what we're going to be in his church and what we're going to do, it's there. If I will trust in him and I will obey him, I will come into contact with his divine providence. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. All right? It's not like he's waiting on us as we have to. No, he, he's God, man. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He's, it's there for you. His provisions are there. Now, when you trust in him and obey him, regardless of the circumstances, don't be tossed to and fro like a wave of the sea, but trust in him. Don't be distracted with envy. Don't be overcome with what other people have. Don't be overwhelmed with this thought that life is unfair. Life is what we make of it when we trust God. Do you hear me? If you are breathing, if you can hear me, if you, life is good, man. And if you will today decide that I'm going to fix my eyes on God, the author and the finisher of my faith, huh? the one who's given me life and the one who provides eternity, then wherever I am today, I will make the very best of it. I will be most excellent today and I will glorify God. What do we do with our faith? What is our lives? It is to enjoy God and to glorify Him, to really enjoy this. We don't do this because we're obligated. We don't do this because we have to. We don't do this because we're looking to hit the lottery. Maybe we'll do this God thing and something good will come to us. That's not it. We do this. We enjoy talking to God. We enjoy knowing what Christ has done for us. We enjoy knowing the hope we have in heaven. And as we do this and we get joy in this, we enjoy not going and sleeping with people before marriage. We, I, we enjoy that. We don't just do it because we, we're not supposed to. Because, you know, that's, that's admirable, but you're going to fail. You're going to fall. You'll do it for a while and you'll fall. We don't not do drugs because it's, it's wrong and we shouldn't do it and it's bad. No, we don't do drugs because we have joy in keeping our bodies whole and right before God so that we can be sensitive to his leading and his guiding and we can be unselfish and bring life rather than bring death. Yes? We do it from joy. Do it from joy, not from obligation, not because it's the wrong thing. You will stumble often and you will fall often. And when you do, we are here. We love you. And God's forgiveness is abundant and his grace is sufficient. But I'm telling you, do it with joy. Grasp joy today. Wherever you are, take a hold of this joy that God has given you. Huh? I am all over the place. Why don't you stand with me? All right. Listen. Look, is it ever okay to be envy? Well, when you're looking at one team that has 27 world championships and you only have five or six, it's okay to be envious. That's the only time it's okay to be envious. Yeah, we don't, <laughs> that's the past. Right now, we're talking about the present right now. Living in the now, man, okay? All right, so look. 
Look, it's really not okay to be envy. It's okay to have anger. We talked about anger. It's okay at times to be filled with sorrow. It's okay at times to have fear. But it is never okay to be envious. It is always sinful when we are envious. Be on your guard of envy. Huh? Envy will destroy your closest relationships. Envy will open up yourself and be vulnerable to all other types of sins. You must right now master the, the, be, to be mindful and awareness by the Holy Spirit envy in your life. And it shows in different ways. And you need to triumph over it, huh? Because it'll cause you to miss out on God's perfect, beautiful plan for your life, huh? My prayer. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, I just pray right now, God, that God, your God, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon each and every one of us. You are a living and a loving and an active God. You do not sleep. You do not slumber. You are here, present with us now. I pray, Lord God, that you would soften hearts. Lord, that you bring clarity to each one here and that envy would be diminished in their lives, oh God, that the clutch of enemy, the tool that the enemy has used, oh God, to cloud them, to, to, to drain happiness from them, oh God, to maybe even bring in other unhealthy thoughts and attitudes right now be diminished, Lord, and will be defeated in their lives in Jesus' name, O oh God, in our wonderful, glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus' name, O oh God, that they be healed, that they would now be sensitive to it, O oh God, that they would be on God, they would battle it, O oh God, and they would be victorious, O oh God. Lord, if there's one in here today who doesn't know you, they have not known you as Lord, Savior. They do not know you as the, as the God that they can be confident in, and by trusting in you and living for you, O oh God, not feeding that sinful nature where envy lives and lust lives and deprivation lives and, so, and pain lives and destruction lives, but Lord, trusting in you and living in their spirit, feeding their spirit, thriving in their spirit, being unselfish, living above the circumstances, transcending pain and difficulty and challenges and being all that you've called them to be, oh God, that right now they would desire that. They would desire to know you, to draw closer to you. They acknowledge that you are awakening them, that you are stirring them, that you are drawing them close to you and your wonderful plan in their life, that they would just humble themselves now. They would ask for your forgiveness for, for living out that sinful nature, for, for letting that sinful nature dominate them. But now today they would turn from that. And they would turn to you and they would, they would trust in you and have confidence in you and they would cry out to you, Lord Jesus, I need you, and I want you, and I want the joy that comes with knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.